Welcome to the Quo, a community of challengers, disruptors, and changemakers. I'm your host, Pyle Patel. Join me as I dive into stories at the intersection of gender, race, and social and economic issues. This podcast series spotlights individuals from various industries, disciplines, and walks of life who are challenging the status quo. Through interesting and thought-provoking conversations, the quote aims to elevate the voices and stories of endeavoring change agents in hopes of empowering communities and inspiring meaningful change within our society through education, advocacy, and the power of storytelling. Are you ready? Let's get it. Hey, cohort, it's Women's Health Month, and if you've been following recent headlines, you know there's a lot of talk around women's health right now, especially reproductive health access and care. So we're going to get into a little bit of that in this episode, and actually, when I first scheduled this episode's guest, I could not have foreseen what a front and center topic this is going to be, so this couldn't have been timed better. But what I'm also looking forward to discussing with today's guest is her particular area of specialty in Black maternal health, which is also a prevalent topic. So we're going to be talking to Leah Hairston. Leah is on a mission to educate and empower women with female reproductive systems. After six years and more than 60 doula families, she's more than dedi- more dedicated than ever in providing specialized fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and lactation support to families she serves. When she learned of the systemic reproductive justice injustices against Black women, she actually dedicated her life to facilitating spaces for healing, equal access, and justice. As a skilled intuition-based doula and social worker, she reminds women of their inherent power, especially when navigating challenges with reproductive wellness experiences. A bold advocate and patient educator, Leah believes that relationship is one of the key factors in facilitating smooth experiences. She is the CEO and founding doula of Sweet Bee Services, a doula agency that strives to provide the justice-focused, trauma-informed, family-centered care that everyone inherently deserves. Leah and her team take time to curate personalized, informed experiences for clients no matter the services they receive. She's a graduate of Roland Park Country School, uh, Howard University, and Columbia University. Leah is a perpetual student, and currently she's on the path to becoming an OBGYN. So with that, let's meet Leah. Hi. Hello. How are you? (laughs) Good. How are you? Welcome to the Quo, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to learn um, in this episode. I learn from my guests all the time, but uh, when um, a fellow, who, uh, a mutual friend of ours connected us and told me your story, I was like, this is going to be really interesting. I'm looking <laughs> forward to learning a lot. So um, I think with that, that it leads us into the perfect first question I had for you, because there are so many people who may be unfamiliar with the services you provide. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear from you. What is the role of a doula and how does it differ from that of an OBGYN? Sure. So a doula is a trained professional who provides emotional, informational, and physical support for particularly for people who are birthing, but overall we can provide support for the continuity of the reproductive spectrum for people with a uterus. 
Um, so, and I say that because a lot of the language I use, I try to make sure that we are as inclusive as possible. Not everyone with a uterus identifies as a woman. Not everyone with a uterus wants to keep it and or have a child. Um, so we support people across the spectrum of uterine reproductive health care. Um, but in particular, a doula um, is known for supporting people who are giving birth or who are in the immediate postpartum experience, um, meaning like those first six weeks after having a baby. And an, a doula is different from a, an OBGYN and from a midwife in that a doula is not a medical professional. So I am not practicing as a licensed medical professional when I'm supporting clients, but I also spend more time with clients than their healthcare providers do because a doctor comes in typically right when the, the person is pushing to make sure that the birthing person and the baby are safe. A midwife comes in usually for more of the labor experience and to make sure that the birthing person and the baby are safe. A doula works with folks sometimes from before they conceive all the way through to when that baby is about a year or two years old, depending on what sort of support the family needs um, and what specialties that doula holds. Got it. So it's more of like an intimate experience. You're really yes. with the family from the beginning to the end of the entire pregnancy process. Exactly. I'm like a birthing bestie. Birthing bestie. I like that. <laughs> um, do you feel like um, you, people want like, maybe like both services or, or I guess, is it a one or the other? Can you also have your OBGYN and also have a doula? Absolutely. And you need them. <laughs> you need both. So when I'm working with clients, I explain that my role is to be part of the birth team. I do not replace a doctor. I do not replace a midwife. I work alongside them with my client to make sure they have the experience that fits their needs and their desires best. So in, in the situations where folks are having a home birth, I work with their midwife to make sure that they get the physical support they need, the informational support, the educational support, and their midwife handles all of the blood pressure readings and the Doppler readings and making sure that medically they are safe for this experience. The same thing in a hospital birth, I make sure that my client is comfortable, that they know their rights within a hospital setting, um, that especially, you know, right now we're having a shortage of nursing staff. So oftentimes I'm helping the nurses to cater to my one particular client, which is a relief to them because they might have 30 people on the floor they know that if someone has a doula, oh, thank God, okay, they're going to make sure that they get some water and make sure they get to the bathroom and can catch me up if there have been any changes. Um, but I work alongside those people. I do not replace them. Okay, good to know. Thanks for clearing that up. I think I was thinking of like, okay, it, it's, there's also the role of a midwife that, mm -hmm. um, yeah, is in, incorporated into the into the process. Um, and uh, I think that in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe you you do both. But good to know, not a, not a healthcare professional. No. A support system, although you yes. are pursuing a career also as an OBGYN, correct? I am. It is a lifelong dream of mine. Um, as a little girl, actually, my mom would find me in her collegiate textbooks and I'd be like, mommy, what's this? It was always somebody giving birth or something that had to do with breastfeeding or something around uterine well-being. Um, so I've had this innate draw to supporting female presenting bodies in their health needs um, since I was a child. And I learned about doulas by watching a TV show. You know, most kids, they get off of school. and They're like, I want to go watch cartoons or play with friends. Mm -hmm. I wanted to watch people having birth. And I was <laughs> sitting there analyzing, like, so who comes in when and what is their role and how is this different depending on the setting? Uh, and so at that, I think I was maybe like nine or 10 and I learned about doulas. And I said, oh, that's really cool. But I didn't ever see a black doula. And so I naively assumed 
doulas are not for black people or brown people. That's just not what we do. Um, Come to find out we're the original doulas. And so when I was pursuing my graduate degree, one of my colleagues was becoming a doula. And I said, wait, hold the presses. How can I do this? Like, I've always wanted to. I find it so intriguing. I have all these questions about like female presenting bodies and how do we care for ourselves and what are our rights? And so I um, went to my training. Actually, I was living in Manhattan at the time. So I was trained in Brooklyn with an organization that focuses on um, training black doulas so that we know how to advocate for black presenting bodies in hospital spaces. And I was like, wait, I learned so much in my, you know, I think it was like a 35 hour training um, that I took back and I supported clients for like eight weeks straight. I was at a birth in all the boroughs. I said, I don't care where it is. Call me. I'll be there. Um, And in that experience, I realized there was such a big gap in just our overall healthcare um, access for black and brown bodies in terms of I now had all this information and knew how to support my clients, but they didn't always, I didn't always know how to help them ask the right questions. And even in giving them information, sometimes they weren't able to clear, clearly articulate to their providers, here's what I'm asking you about, or here's what I really want support around, here are my desires. And a lot of times people feel fearful because there's this power dynamic between someone who spent 15 years you know, studying a body and how to care for it in crisis and somebody who's living in that body. Um, and like, I know my body really well because I walk in it every day. A doctor knows what to do in case of certain emergencies. And sometimes there's a disconnect in me, me clearly saying, here's what's going on and then perceiving an emergency that may or may not be there. And so as a doula, I help to be that bridge to say, oh, when they say X, Y, Z, here's what they're looking for. When they ask you particular questions, here's how you answer so that you make sure you get across what is most important to you and how you want your provider to support you in your health and well-being. Yeah, I think that you noticed something really important there with um, just the unique experiences that each body has, right? And especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking about um, people of color, but specifically Black women. And your website states that you began your journey in reproductive care once you learned about some of the systemic reproductive injustices against Black women. So would you expand on some of those injustices for us? Absolutely. Um, So unfortunately, this statistic has not changed in the last six years that I've been a doula. But um, Black women in the United States of America are three to four times more likely to die of childbirth-related complications. And I want to clarify that it's not because we are any less healthy than any other demographic, but because of the way that um, racism has infiltrated every aspect of life in this country, in particular, the healthcare system and in particular women's bodies. So if you compile like, you know, being black and being a woman, you're kind of at the bottom of the totem pole socially. And so um, when I found out that we were at a greater risk of dying and or healthcare complications and that our children were at a greater risk of dying. It didn't sit well with me. One that's a, it's a very, as a black woman, I was like, well, I want to have children and I come from a black woman and my mom had four of us. And just the thought that at any point in time, she could have potentially died from giving birth um, seemed counterintuitive to me. I was like, well, you're welcoming new life. Why is that so dangerous? And so I did a little, um, a bit, not a little, a lot of research to figure out what exactly it was that is contributing. And thankfully, there's a lot more research in the field today to help understand, help us understand the implications of racism and um, genetic trauma in some of what takes place, but also helping people 
to be able to clearly say, this is what's going on in my body. I need my providers to listen. And here's the support I need. Because many times, like I said, it's not because we're any less healthy, but pregnancy and birth is a very dangerous experience sometimes. And so if somebody is developing, let's say, a clot in their leg and they say, I'm feeling pain, but they don't know to say, I have an embolism and I need XYZ you know, medication or intervention. So they're just going to walk around with that pain in their leg. Maybe they're fearful of going back to the doctor. Maybe they're pushing it off because many times women of color, we ignore our healthcare needs until the very last second. Um, and sometimes somebody is advocating and is saying, no, something is wrong. We're at the hospital. Please help us. And the way that our system works, it, there's just a lot of strain on the system and people fall through the crack, cracks more often than they should. Um, so when I learned about that, I was like, well, what is there to do? Like, we have to be able to fix this. And I'm such a solutions oriented person. I was like, well, as a doula, if I could be that bridge, maybe I can help my clients know what language to use with their provider. I can be that listening ear. So maybe my client doesn't want to call their OB at three o'clock in the morning. They can call me. I'm on call. <laughs> you can let me know what's going on. How are you feeling? Sometimes it's more of an emotional support need or a mental health need, um, like we're in Mental Health Awareness Month. And so sometimes it is a matter of life or death because it has to do with postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis or any other perinatal and postpartum mood disorder. Um, and so just having somebody who's by your side, who knows you intimately. I know when my clients are rolling their eyes because they're in pain or they're rolling their eyes because they're annoyed or if they, you know, are keeping their comments short um, because of a staff member being in the room. And once that person leaves, they say, hey, what's, what's really going on? And then they open up and then I can help them say, okay, well, here's how we, can, how we can help to bring language to what it is you want to convey in a way that you're gonna be heard so that your desires are going to be met. Wow. Um, you mentioned that women of color often have a hard time um, doing exactly what you just said, conveying what they, what they, uh, what their needs are, asking the questions. Why do you think that is? I think it has to do with cultural context. Um, I'm a black Latina. And so I know that there are situations where people will see me a certain way and assume certain things about me. And I'm a pretty also outgoing person. So I've been like, it's fine. You're going to be, you're going to get what you get, but that's not something that everybody is comfortable doing. Um, and oftentimes it could be that people see me a certain way and will never even hear what it is I have to say because of the prejudices that come with how they have perceived me. Um, so many times for my clients, um, and I let people know the statistic of about three to four times more likely to experience complications has nothing to do with socioeconomic status or educational background. And oftentimes for those of us who have more academic achievement or in a different economic bracket, a higher one, the risk is greater because our exposure to um, stressors and environments that are not sustainable to our well-being is greater. So that's another part of, of the puzzle. But um, oftentimes it's a perception and a prejudice perception that holds people back. Sometimes it's a self-perception of like, well, they're not going to listen to me anyway, so why would I say something? Um, other times it could be that, like I said, we diminish our needs. And so I'm often working with clients to say, what do you want? What's most important to you? Um, how do you want to experience this? So often they could be, you know, very high achieving, very successful people, but never have a space to figure out what's most important to me and to have their voice elevated. And so I let my clients know as your advocate, my job is to amplify your voice. I do not replace your voice, but I want to make sure that when we walk into a space, 
I am experienced. I'm not heard or necessarily seen because you should be the person at the, at the front of what's going on. Yeah. And I think that um, you kind of centering those voices probably also helps with, you know, um, the empowerment element, mm -hmm. right? Like empowering these women to, or um, people identifying as women to, to feel like, okay, I, I'm in control of, of my birthing process, my pregnancy. Um, another question I had for you was, what, what do you think we need to see happen in order to close some of the, the gaps and disparities, especially mm -hmm. as it relates to Black maternal mortality? How much time do we have? <laughs> it's a loaded question, isn't it? Can we restart the whole system? <laughs> but, but honestly, um, you know, even in medical textbooks today, um, a lot of, I should clarify this, the study of gynecology um, in many ways is attributed to J. Marion Sims, who was a doctor who experimented on five Black enslaved women. Um, to determine how to care for uterus and how to do certain surgical procedures. And in doing this work, part of my, um, my desire to bring reproductive justice is to honor those five women and all that they contributed to the study of the uterus and the female reproductive system um, because they were experimented upon, almost like a Frankenstein um, yeah. experiment. And so because of the way that they were experimented upon and the time frame in which they were experimented upon, the language that was used to describe how black and brown people experience pain, how, um, you know, how the body is created and functions does not give us a human experience. And so when that's the foundation of the study of gynecology, and then you train people to become doctors who focus on gynecology, and their foundational text does not attribute humanity to people of color, you're going to inherently have issues. So when people are like, well, the system is racist. Like, yes, the system is racist, not the doctors. I don't blame doctors. I don't necessarily blame nurses or like any person working within the system. Because yeah, in my opinion, following the system the whole time, it, right? it's how it's supposed yeah. to function. So don't be mad yeah. at the system, change it. <laughs> so make sure people have, have, you know, providers who are working, um, actively working to destroy their biases and their prejudices. Make sure you have doctors and healthcare providers who are using language that is inclusive of all bodies because everybody has a different experience. Making sure that we're providing trauma-informed care for people is crucial. The number of people who um, experience trauma related to sexual experiences is astronomical. So then when you ask somebody to go into a birthing environment where they have no control, where they're not able to, you know, to choose a position that they like, they are not really sure what these medications are that are being pumped into their bodies, and all of a sudden, hands are being poked and prodded all around them or inserted into their bodies. That's a very re-traumatizing experience. How can we instead create a more empowered, a more kind experience in a healthcare provider's office? Ask them to please tell you everything they're going to do. Ask them to get your consent before they touch you. It's as simple as saying, hi, my name is such and such. This is my role. Is it okay if I put my hands on your XYZ, on your leg, on your foot, you know, whatever it might be. But that might seem like it takes an extra 30 seconds, but you never know the difference that those 30 seconds will make to a client or a patient because then they say, oh, you see me as a human being. You don't just see me as a body on a table. Um, yeah, so those are like, that makes all the difference. It really it does. does. Yeah, as a patient, I can also attest to that mm -hmm. because I've had, I've actually 
changed OBGYNs many times because I just like, I, I don't know. And I couldn't even put a finger on why mm -hmm. it was, was uncomfortable experience after uncomfortable, uncomfortable experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then I finally found one and I'm going to stick to her for as long yes. as she's practicing. <laughs> um, and, and she makes it a point like every single time she'll, she's actually guiding me through it mm -hmm. because I think that first of all, our um our appointments and, and what we have to do as a part of it is already uncomfortable to begin yes. with right it's so like invasive it's, it's very invasive right so i'm like sitting there and i have i have such high anxiety even mm -hmm. when i go see any sort of doctor but this this is like elevated and so i it's really nice that she always makes it a point to like say like hey so i'm gonna do this mm -hmm. can i touch you here and i'm like yes like this so there, you're right. There is something to that, to, mm -hmm. you know, just offer that little exactly. bit of, you know, like personalized touch of, yes. of asking those questions. And that like that goes into relationship because, you know, I don't necessarily get to build a relationship with my OB. I go see them or my GYN. I go see her like maybe once a year, <laughs> you know, go get my pap smear and get, get all my examinations. And then unless something is wrong, I'm not really there very often. But you're asking me you. to see this person once a year, have them put their hands literally inside of me, all over me, and mm -hmm. then be like, all right, that's great. I don't know what you did. I don't know what this test means. I don't know what you just like mm -hmm. smeared across me. Um, that's really disheartening. And then even in pregnancy, you know, appointments are no longer just because you're pregnant. So during a pregnancy, someone's appointment may only be 15 minutes. And so if we add on top of that, um, you know, the white coat syndrome we experience is like, well, what do I say to the doctor? And do I even, can I even ask them to tell me what they're doing? Um, I rushed in here to get my blood pressure reading, which is high because I was stressed because I couldn't find parking. And now you want to do all these things and pregnant people are like, and I'm gaining weight. And I just, it's so much happening. Yeah. I'm like, well, let's, let's take a breath first. Let's say, Hey, can you give me five minutes and then take my blood pressure reading? Cause I've been really stressed today. Um, you know, that, that is one way to also create a more welcoming environment. Um, and to just like, I think it just really comes down to recognizing that people are humans <laughs> before anything else. And fundamentally, so a, fund, I'm like, it's pretty much a basic human right that you are a yeah. human being, <laughs> you have a name, yeah. you have the lived experience. And you honestly, I tell my clients, like you have the power, you don't have to go see a doctor, you don't want to like, I'm so glad you switched OBs. You're like, yeah, this is not working. I need to find someone else. A lot of people yeah. don't know you can do that. They assume like, well, I have insurance or I don't have insurance. So this is my you know, limitation. Okay, well, it doesn't matter if you do or do not have insurance. We can find a provider that fits you, that matches you know, the style that you need, the kind of care that's necessary for you. Um, I had an, an, a GYN recently who drew pictures for me. I was like, this is, I'm a visual learner. I need to see what it looks like. I love um, that. And yeah. right, I was like, See, you can ask your doctor to draw a picture for you. They have studied this for years and years and years. Right, right. You might as so well ask like them to. <laughs> customizing it to your patients. Yes. Um, yeah, then the way in the way that they process information. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about therapy. So like I, I've switched therapists many times, right? And as you yeah. should, I, I know people who are like, I tried therapy once, I hated it. And I was like, did you try someone else? Because I think that oftentimes it's about your relationship with mm -hmm. your provider, your healthcare provider, right? Like there are some that you're just going to connect really well with. And I think you've got to give it that chance. You've got to go find yeah. the right fit for you. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like I, I make that same kind of effort now. I didn't early mm -hmm. on because I think, yeah, when I first like started independently, uh, 
that my, my mom picked my pediatricians mm, yeah. and all that, right? So like I, exactly. I, I was with who I was with, but then like as I got older, I did the same thing. I'm like, okay, who's in my insurance network? And all right, I guess I'm stuck with this person and I'm not mm. happy with this experience, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, mm. you absolutely should try to move around and see what works best for you. Yes. For sure. I'm like, you pay for your insurance or your job, but somebody pays for your insurance. Yeah. You should have an experience that, that you enjoy. Yeah. And hope, I, I would imagine you're paying a lot because a lot. our insur- insurance system is also broken. That would take forever yes. to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so much that we need to um, revamp and redo or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to ask you, so as a doula, how do you go about facilitating that space that you're talking about for healing, for mm-hmm. equity, and for the re- reproductive justice that you're hoping to see? Mm-hmm. Partially, it comes down to my perspective and my lenses. So I am a social worker at heart. I am always going to be um, you know, fighting for justice no matter where I am and what I'm doing. Um, and my heart is for equity. So I like to clarify that equity and equality are not the same thing. We don't all start from the same place, so we don't all need the same kind of um, resources. I have some clients who have very limited financial resources or, you know, language resources in this country. And so the type of, you know, care that they're going to need to receive is very different than a client who may have grown up here and has unlimited financial resources. Now, I as the, you know, doula do not change who I am and what I'm providing to them. I cater it to what they need. Um, and so I, that's honestly how I see my role is that um, with my lens of like a trauma informed lens with a family centered lens with a social justice lens, I am always working to make sure that I'm honoring the history of the five women who really are the contributors to the study of gynecology, that I'm understanding that for my clients, because 99% of my mamas are black and of my babies are black. That means that my clients are coming to me from honestly, from a place of fear. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out alive and or whole. And so that's what I want to do. And I'm like, well, great. That's, that's the bare minimum. And I have to help reframe with clients. You're going to leave alive that would that's, that should happen regardless how that happens might change. So maybe you need more emotional support. Maybe you need more physical support in the home. Maybe you need more you know, education on the back end so you know how to advocate for yourself. You know how to determine this is my birth goal um, is you know, to be in water for early labor and active labor and then to move to a bed um, or to like go to the hospital, whatever might be the case, um, so that they're familiar with the language that's used in the birth world. They're familiar with the language that's used in the medicalized or the hospitalized birth world. And that they can say, I hear you, here's what I'm going to do, and here's how I need you to support me, as opposed to being, you know, at the will and mercy of a policy or procedure that may not understand them and their needs. Mm-hmm. And have you noticed that when these things are done, I know you said that the, the statistic around um, Black maternal mortality has not changed since you've been practicing mm-hmm. as a doula, but but when these things are done, are you seeing improvements in, oh, yes. in strides towards bringing that stat down? Absolutely. Um, the, the statistic is nationwide. I am yeah. grateful to say that at this point in time, I have never lost a client or a baby. Now, have we had NICU experiences? Yes. Some of those things are totally out of our control. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that happens. But yeah. when a person, and it goes back to being basic decency of human beings, but when a person feels seen and heard, they feel confident enough to say, 
I don't want to do that. I want to talk to my partner and we're going to take five minutes. They don't feel the, the like physical anxiety rush of we have to make a decision now. And this is what the doctor said. So I just have to go with it. And that's not really what I want, but how am I going to tell them I don't want that instead they give me a call. And a lot of my moms are actually have markers for high risk pregnancies. And so that means that they're either carrying multiples, they um, may have markers for gestational diabetes or preeclampsia, a version of high blood pressure, any number of things. It could be over 40, over 35. People are like, you can't have a baby over 35. I have very healthy moms in their 40s. Like, <laughs> I'm not even worried about Thank you. That. Thank yes. you for clearing that statistic up. Um, and I hope that my parents are listening to that too. <laughs> Like, we're good. All of us in our 30s and 40s, we're fine. Yeah, we can still I'm sick of people keep saying, like, oh, you only have until 35. Like, as no. if, like, the second you turn 35, it's just not possible for you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Step figure. Right. <laughs> right. And, like, there are genetic reasons why, and I get that. And I tell everybody, like, if you are considering ever having children, get your hormone levels checked because that will help you to, t- to determine, like, oh, okay, yeah. maybe I have more eggs. I need to go get frozen. Any number of things. We talked about it. Yeah. Um, but my clients are all happy and healthy. And when they have the space to say, Hey Leah, I just left the doctor's office. They said my blood pressure readings are high. That's where I can be that voice of reason. Like, okay, well, remember your last, you know, 10 readings from the last five days. Did you bring those up to them? Oh yeah, I did bring them up and they were all in the normal range. I said, great. So what else did the doctor say? Well, they really want me to go down to the hospital to get checked in. I'm like, okay, well, do you want to ask them like why they want you to be checked in? Can you have them explain it to you? I can do that. Yes. You can, you can have them explain. You don't have to go. Now, this yeah. is not me saying, cause I'm not a medical professional. I'm not telling my clients not to go to the hospital. All I'm saying is make sure you exercise your right to understand why they are giving you certain medical advice. Take the space to figure out what you'd like to do with it and then make an informed decision. Maybe you are having a spike and you are on the way to having preeclampsia and you need to go to the hospital now. But with my clients, we've been tracking these things along the way. So we're taking um, taking an eye at what they're eating, how often they're eating, what are they drinking? Are they drinking enough water? Are they stressed because they have three kids who are in school and the summer is about to come and they don't know what they're going to do for daycare? Are they stressed because they just fought with their partner and now their mother-in-law is moving in and that was totally not in the plan? Or are they truly stressed because their blood pressure is high from traffic? Like there are a number, and I'm a social worker, so I'm going to ask you about all these other things because those are contributing factors to why your number is now, you know, 145 over 90, when yesterday at the same time, it was 120 over 60, you know? So right. being able to, to help clients think through, here's the advice they've given, here's what I actually feel about it, what I wanna do about it, and here's the decision I've made, returns the power to them and allows them to say, well, because I'm in control, I can do da 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 da, and I feel confident in this decision. Oftentimes they're like, I actually, I agree with the doctor and I want to move forward. I'm like, perfect. Let's right. do that. Yeah. But I'll at least you made an informed decision. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You made an exactly. informed decision. No, that's for sure. And I forgot about your social worker background. What a great um, integration. And it's like a, a perfect marriage of your backgrounds to, you know, be able to do this and offer the kind of services you do. So that's awesome. I love that. Um, at what stage of the process does a doula enter? So if someone's like looking to seek your services, mm-hmm. can they start consulting with you when they're trying to um, get pregnant? And yeah, what, when so, do you start that support system? I am a full spectrum doula, which means I support people from preconception through menopause. There are some of us who are solely birth doulas, solely um, postpartum doulas. There are some people who focus on abortion, some people who focus on 
um, bereavement support for those who've experienced a loss. So my training allowed me to do any of that <laughs> in between, um, wow. which is why I talk to clients. Some clients are like, hey, I'm trying to, trying to conceive. I'm like, great. I want you to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. I would love for you to go get your, let your numbers checked. Let's go see a reproductive endocrinologist. Like, let's get the medical support you need. And I will provide the holistic support that's necessary to marry the two to help you reach your goal. Um, for clients who are pregnant, most people contact me in their first trimester um, because I do book pretty quickly. So, um, which is why I now have a team. I was like, you know what? I know some phenomenal people. I'm also a doula instructor and mentor. Um, and so I was like, I've trained some really great people and I would trust them to catch my own babies. Let me go yeah. on and um, bring them onto my team so we can support more people. Um, because I believe everybody deserves a doula. Uh, and I say every and body as two separate words. So every body, every physical human body deserves a doula. Yeah. I'm not the doula for everybody and that's okay, but I do know a doula for somebody who wants one. Oh, I like that. Yeah. A doula for every body. Yes. Nice. Um, so before we, we close out, I, I, I know we have to talk about this because it has been um, a topic that's come up. Maybe you've heard about it. It's, you know, only dominating the headlines as of late. Um, my goodness. But there's obviously a lot of buzz around reproductive justice right now because we just saw the leak of the U.S. Supreme Court's draft opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade, um, which is obviously a landmark, um, you know, legislation that was uh, – implemented 50 years ago. So in our lifetime, it's always been there. Um, and that was followed up by the U.S. Senate's uh, failure to codify it and enshrine it into uh, federal law. So obviously, there's a lot of talk about that right now and how it's likely the beginning of in, of just a domino effect, uh, effect of what we could possibly be looking at in, in terms of additional bans, mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, bans to contraceptives and other reproductive health clinics uh, mm -hmm. potentially being shut down, and especially in states that are already, who are already in jeopardy before all of this unfolded. So I want to ask you, someone who's so intimately involved in this, um, and I, I heard you when you mentioned that you even provide um, care during an abortion process. So what implications do you foresee coming out of this potential overturn and subsequent bans, and specifically for Black women? Well, I know it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to gather my emotions. Yes. Um, it honestly, it breaks my heart because... Like I mentioned earlier, that totem pole, like we're already, you know, in terms of in terms of access to care, it's already more difficult for us in terms of, um, you know, I should say access to healthcare overall. So not just reproductive health care, but like overall health care, we're not we're not receiving the care that would allow us to care for our bodies in the best ways possible. Um, and so then adding the ban of abortions, adding the ban of, in some places, plan B and condoms. I'm like, oh, friends, this, this is not a solution for anybody's desire. I don't know, you know, whichever way people sway politically. Um, let me clarify this all by saying banning legal abortions, as we've seen in the news, is only going to lead to more illegal abortions, which is going right. to lead to the same kind of complications, healthcare complications that we saw 50 plus years ago. Abortions are older than the United States of America. So if people want to find a way, they will find a way. But finding a way is not going to be the most medically safe. And in most instances, when my clients need an abortion, it's because their life is on the line. 
it's because there's an ectopic pregnancy and that person's uterus or fallopian tube is going to rupture and they're, they will die. They could bleed out in a matter of minutes. Or it's because, you know, that baby is going to have a quality of life that the, the family has decided we don't want to cause this kind of pain to our little one. And so we're going to make this decision. It is never an easy decision. And it is never something, honestly, that's anyone else's business, in my opinion. It's a very personal choice, the same way that it is a personal choice um, to have a baby and to be responsible for raising that little person or giving that child up for adoption if that's not something that someone can do. Um, but for folks who are like, well, just give the baby up for adoption, it's never just. There is never just. You are asking somebody to carry life for possibly 40 weeks, leading to all sorts of physical health complications. And then the emotional strain of now this child is somewhere, they have carried this child. And our adoption and foster care systems are no stronger and able to support you know, a potential influx. Um, so it's, it's a multi-layered concern in my opinion. And then not even like, even for people who may not become pregnant, if you do continue to ban condoms and plan B, et cetera, you're putting people physically at risk of all sorts of STD and STIs, um, of you know, causing people long-term healthcare concerns without providing the safety nets and the, the public nets that are necessary to provide medical coverage, to make it easy to access sort of certain medications, um, to make it easy to access certain, um, like if somebody then develops a physical mobility concern, do they have access to get transportation to get where they need to go. So like there's so many layers to it that I wish people would stop talking about, well, it's, I just, people should keep their babies and they should, you know, keep their clothes on. It has nothing to do with that. It has so much more to do with our fundamental human rights to make choices and to have those choices honored. And this is clearly the U.S. saying we're not going to honor those choices, which is not a surprise. Once again, I'm a black woman in America, so I understand this country was built by my people, not for my people. But if we are going to stand on the Constitution and say that these amendments are you know, appropriate and should be enacted upon, then we need to do that across the board. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like it's creating more problems than it's trying to solve. Absolutely. Right? Like they think that by eliminating the access to abortions, they're magically just going to stop. And that's not going to be the case. Like you pointed out, it's, it's going to prevent safe abortions there it's gonna you know um cause a lot more lives so when people talk about pro-life i'm like that's not pro-life stance no. right because that you're is not... pro-pregnancy that is yeah. not pro-life right it's not pro-life no because you're not thinking about the life that is having to carry the what you know whether it's it's a a pregnancy that is um you know not safe to carry, mm -hmm. right? Or, or it's just all the all the other reasons that you listed. It's mm -hmm. it's a lot of trauma associated with it as well. Yeah, and just you're re-traumatizing people. Re-traumatizing people. I know. Yeah. And so let's let's see what unfolds these <laughs> next few months. I guess. But like yeah. you said, not a surprising turn of events. We kind of saw this coming probably a couple of years ago. You yes. know, um, <laughs> when when everything switched in the Supreme Court, we're like, oh. Yep. We uh, see this is going to happen. This is why I actually took uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death really, um, mm -hmm. you know, tough because I was like, the, the, I know what this is going to mean. Mm -hmm. I know what this is going to mean. Um, and it's unfortunate that we're, unfortunately we're here. We're here. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm not trying to make this any, like, like you said, regardless of your political stances, regardless of your religious views, we're just talking about 
the lives of, mm-hmm. of people that are mm-hmm. going to be at stake. So it's, oh, okay, well, thank well, you for at least and, sharing those insights with us. Yeah, absolutely. I think to sum up what I said, I think it comes more so down to control and the government's ability to control or perceived ability Regulate. to control. Mm-hmm. Yes, regulate is a nice way to put it. People's decisions. Um, but as a, as a person who's worked in intimate partner violence, as a person who's worked in prison reform, this has much more to do with the power dynamic than anything else. And so I want to remind people that although it is not a very encouraging um, time, you can still get access to the providers that you need. The people, like I said, are not the system. So although the system might be creating more barriers and difficulties, there are people within the system who will help you to find the care that you need. And that means like finding access to people who are going to support you, who will make sure you have the safety nets in place so that your life is not going to, um, you know, just continually face barrier after barrier. But there's always a way to to get support. Absolutely. Thank you for that clarification point. And I should also point out that abortion is still legal as of today, May, you know, uh, May 16th, 2022. Right. So it is still legal um, and you can find information for your respective states, right? Mm-hmm. You can find those resources um, to make sure that you're making informed decisions and choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and also given that it's Women's Health Month and we also mentioned earlier that it's Mental Health Awareness Month, I, I wanna close out on a note where we're trying to do more healing than getting yeah. more anxiety and healing, right? <laughs> like I don't wanna end on that note. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about self-care and healing mm-hmm. from traumas that a lot of people have experienced, what does that look like? And especially what does that look like throughout the birthing process? Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like what I mentioned earlier about helping clients to tap back into their inherent power of like, oh, I can ask the questions and I can say yes or no, I don't want this to happen or I do want this to happen. Um, oftentimes because of, because of the way that I center relationship as a doula, I learn a lot of very in intimate and sensitive and vulnerable details about my clients. Um, And I see that as a badge of honor. I don't go in like, I want to learn all about you. But as we build rapport and trust, they are willing to share things that sometimes they wouldn't share with a partner or with their own mother or, you know, things that are um, triggered for them in the birthing experience, um, particularly for clients who have experienced loss before and seeing blood can trigger um, that anxiety of like, am I losing the baby? Is something wrong with my body? Um, oftentimes I have clients who are trying to navigate, like my body looks so different or it functions so differently. And this is not anything I ever anticipated. Um, and so being able to say like, I hear you, I'm, I am here with you. Like, I think you're phenomenal, but I want you to think you're phenomenal. Uh, and so working with clients on positive affirmations, I'm actually coming out with an affirmation coloring book soon. Um, because because I love to color. It helps my anxiety. Um, But I also encourage my clients to create affirmations before their birth experience and for their postpartum experience. And there's something really beautiful about tapping into our inner child and like sitting down to color that allows us to breathe more deeply and slowly and to reoxygenate our bodies that allows our minds to kind of like, whew, take a pause and recenter. Um, but I also like, I, I do a lot of breath work with clients. I do affirmations. Um, I also help my clients to talk to their partners. So my partnered clients, a lot of times the male presenting partner has a lot of anxiety and the female presenting partner has a lot of anxiety and they're like, Oh, kind of at odds. Um, and so sometimes I'm like, 
what's going on guys? How are we feeling? And that simple question will bring out so much. And they realize, oh, we have the same concerns on, on, <laughs> on either end of the, of the spectrum. Um, we just haven't found the words to communicate them to one another. And so being able to once again, be that bridge of like, hey, come meet me in the middle. Um, then they can move forward together and realize we're in this together. We are a team. We want the same things. I don't want you to die. <laughs> I don't want me to die. We're not going to die. <laughs> we're going to make it through this and we're going to be okay. Um, so what you're saying also, is that you're also a little bit of a therapist. <laughs> a little bit. I do come from marriage counselors, so that kind of helps. <laughs> there you go. Lot. Not every doula does that. Yeah. Um, but that's, like, it's a part of my background and my upbringing. So my clients get all of me. Um, and in that, I see them walking in wholeness. I see them, um, you know, triumphantly parenting and making it through loss and making it through all sorts of physical difficulties that are associated with their pregnancy. And now they're like, you know, thriving with three and four and five-year-olds. Like, wow, I did that. I'm, I'm really good. And they'll send me video clips. I'm like, oh, all my babies are so big. <laughs> oh, that's got to be so fun to see. Like it over very rewarding. years. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, for those who want to just know and learn more about your services, where can they find you? How can they get more information? Yeah, I am online on all platforms. So you can follow me at www.sweetbbeedoula.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram or Facebook at sweetbeedoula. And if you would like to support my journey to becoming an OB, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash doula, D-O-U-L-A to doc. Oh, cool. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. You can... Wow. Okay. All right. Well, you heard her support her journey to becoming an OBGYN. I think <laughs> that'll just be such a perfect transition for you. Will you continue being a doula even yeah. after you? Okay. Yeah, I will never stop being a doula. When I started, I was like, oh, until I die, I will never stop doing this. Um, and I honestly, I'm like, more people who are healthcare practitioners within reproductive justice should be doulas because there's just something or should at least get the training. I think there's something really beautiful about our perspective. And I'm looking forward to including that and in how I can provide even more, um, you know, medical, medically licensed care to clients. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I know, um, I think I speak for everyone listening and tuning in right now. Um, when I wish you success and Thank the best of luck on your journey and can't wait to see, um, all of that unfold for you. So thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for spending time with us today yeah. and talking us through um, a very important and unique topic. So appreciate all of your insights and um, can't wait to, to see the rest of your journey unfold. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. No problem. Thanks again. Hey, it's me again. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, please subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming service so that you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, be sure to follow The Quo on social media at The Quo Media across all platforms for the latest and greatest. Thanks again for joining, supporting, and uplifting The Quo community, or as I like to call it, our cohort. Catch you next time.